back to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin there in our Bible study this morning. Genesis chapter 1. I'm looking down at verse 26. Will you look there in your Bible too? Genesis 1, verse 26. The text says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. We have been working our way through Genesis this year in our Bible reading, and most recently in these summer months, we've been focused, we've been focused on the way Genesis introduces us to the main characters in the Bible story. It's like any good movie. Pretty early in, you're going to know who the key players are, right? The Bible is just like that. We don't go very far before we find out who the main players are in this story. And so, back in May, we talked a little bit about God and how much we learn about God all the way back at the beginning in Genesis, right at the start of the story. And then in June, we looked at the adversary, Satan, the one opposed to God, and all the things we learn about him back at the beginning. And so, this morning, One more main character who's going to be pivotal in this story, Genesis also introduces us to man. And back in Genesis, we learn a lot about this third player in the story. We learn a lot about ourselves. And so, for the next few weeks, I want us to think about what we learn about man all the way back at the beginning. You know, Max, I started working on this list and decided it could be a series. We could go on and on and on. It is amazing to go back just to these first few chapters in God's book and realize how much we learn about ourselves. Y'all ready to go this morning? We got a lot of ground to cover. I want you to think about this. I will put very first on my list because it's where we begin in Genesis. We learned first that man is created by God. We are God's creation. That's what we just read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, right? I won't spend a lot of time here because I know already this year we've said a lot about the fact that man is God's creation. I just want you to say, folks, that that's more than just a fact we teach kids in Bible drill or in little kids' Bible classes. This is a truth that we are created by God that has profound implications that, that reaches out and touches all kinds of things in our life. For example, I would submit to you that the Bible accounts for man's beginning in a way that is reasonable. Now, it is not the only theory out there for where man came from. I would just contend it is the only reasonable explanation. This idea that somehow matter jumped out of nothingness and then left alone for billions of years, it would evolve uh, and, and, and change its form and mutate until, boom, there you and I are today. You realize most people buy that fairy tale, that out of nothing came something, and given enough time, you'd have me and you. I would submit to you that the idea presented here at the beginning in Genesis, 
that man was the product of an intelligent and powerful and wise creator who made us, that is a whole lot more reasonable, especially when you understand how amazingly designed we are. And so I would suggest that Genesis accounts for our existence in a way that is more reasonable. The second thing I would note about that is that this truth also says something about our relationship with the Creator, and this is really critical. Because God made me, I belong to Him. I am His creation. He has a right to rule over me. In fact, we see that very early in Genesis. Are you still in chapter 1? Just run on down to verse 28, because the very next thing God does is He starts ordering the man around. He said, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And then you get over to chapter 2, and verse 16, and you have all that stuff about the tree. God says, you can eat these trees, but you cannot eat that tree. What is He doing telling me what to do? i tell you who He is. He's God. And right here in Genesis, we see God exercising His prerogative as the Creator, ruling over His creation. That includes me and you. In fact, if we were really going to build a long list today, we could just add that too, that man is subject to God, and we see that from the very beginning. I wanted to remind you of that this morning, because this is why there has been such a pitched battle waged waged over this question of origins, brothers and sisters. This is not some pointless debate, better left to a college philosophy class. This changes everything. If there is a God who is the creator, then what that means is I am not free to do whatever I want to do. People say that all the time, right? It's my life, I'll do what I want to, I'll make my own rules, but that is not so if there is a God who made us. That was not true in the garden with Adam and Eve, and it is not true with me and you. If God exists and He made us, then we are subject to Him. Can I just say to you this morning that that's why people choose not to believe in God? It isn't because of the evidence, brothers and sisters. The truth is that if folks were honest, the evidence for an intelligent creator is overwhelming. People do not reject God because there is no evidence for God. They reject God because they do not want to behave. They don't want to be subject to anybody. People want to do whatever they want to do. And if this is true, you can't do that. So, we see that from the very beginning, that there is a God. But notice, we see this also from the beginning about man, that man has this propensity to rebel against God. So, head over to chapter 3, right? That's where we're going to see that. In spite of who God is, very early in the Bible story, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve act like they're God. They act like they're in charge. In fact, in an effort to be like Him, in Genesis 3 and verse 5 and verse 6, they ignore God's instruction, and they do their own thing, and they rebel against His will from Him. We see that very early on in the story. In fact, I would submit to you that one of the other things we're seeing in the story is that, is that man has the ability to do that, the ability to rebel against God and do his own thing. We could add that to the list too if you want to make a really long list. We could add that at the beginning we learn man has free will. Think about how amazing that is. This creator has a right 
to demand our submission and the power to force that submission, doesn't he? God could have wired us, brothers and sisters, so that all that we could do is behave. He could have made us little robots that just did exactly what he wanted us to do. Or he could have stuck us in a place where there wasn't anything to do but what he wanted us to do, right? But that is not what God has done. He has given us free will, not only the capacity to choose to submit or rebel, but he's given us that option. We don't have to do what he wants us to do. And that's what Adam and Eve chose in Genesis 3. They chose to be rebels. Do you get all judgy of Adam and Eve? Do you look back on that story and think to yourself, how could they be that dumb? I mean, they got the perfect setup here. And what they choose to do is rebel against God. What are they thinking? Don't judge too quickly, folks. Because we're the same way. We do what they did. You know what God wants? Got your Bible this morning, right? Hold it open. There it is. We know what God wants too. And what do we do? We take that free will he's given us, and we exercise that free will, and we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. We do exactly what we want to do. The truth is, brothers and sisters, just like man at the beginning, so is man today. We are rebels. You know what's interesting about that? Is that we've all always suffered for that. We see that in Genesis as well. Are you still in chapter 3? Roll right up to verse number 6 where they choose to commit this sin. And then pick up at verse number 7. What happens next? They are ashamed and they start trying to cover themselves. And then they hear God and they go and hide from God. And then God comes. And if you just follow chapter 3 all the way through to the end, we've already read that. I'm not going to read it again this morning. But what you just find is all these bad things happen one after another. That is not what Eve was expecting, by the way. If you go back up at verse 6, she's looking at this tree and saying, oh, it's good for food. It looks really nice. It's going to make me wise. It's going to make me like God. She thought she was going to get a bunch of good stuff. What did she get? Suffering. And that has always been the consequence of our rebellion. It has been that way from the very beginning. Brothers and sisters, sin never works out for our good. Can I say that again? Are you with me on that? I had one amen. Sin never works out for our good. So you think we would know better by now, wouldn't you? How long has it been happening that way? From the very beginning. And so what do we learn about man from the beginning? We learn that he has free will, and he's used that free will to rebel against God, and it's always ended badly, as it does today. And then there's this. I want to put a third thing on the list. I'm going a little bit different direction. What you think about this? Head back over to chapter 1, to the verse we started with. Look down at verse 27, because when I look at the way God made men, I notice that God made males and females. Does that say that in your Bible? God made males and females. Verse 27 says, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Isn't it odd 
that I feel the need this morning to stand up in front of you and say that when God made mankind, he made two kinds. He made boys and he made girls. And yet you know that I need to stand up in front of you this morning and say that. To say that gender was part of God's creation. He made men and women and they are not the same. Someone says, duh, right? But let me tell you, there's more to the differences between men and women than anatomy. Biologically, all the way down to the DNA that is in our cells, the boys are different from the girls. That's why, brothers and sisters, it is impossible to choose or change your gender. Before we are born, our DNA DNA has determined what gender we're going to be. And let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what a person says they are. And it doesn't matter how they dress their bodies. And it doesn't matter how they may choose to modify their body. At our very core, in our DNA, we are either a boy or a girl, and you cannot change that. This current controversy over gender in our culture, I think is a dramatic illustration of how our country is moving from immorality to insanity. Listen, I'm not trying to be unkind when I say that, folks. This idea that a person can choose to be a different gender violates all logic and reason and science and what we know sociologically, write it down, make the case no matter how you argue it. Not only is this wrong, it's beyond wrong. It is absurd. Gender is assigned before we are even born. We are one or the other. You can't change that, and it has been that way from the beginning. Genesis teaches that. In fact, you know what this is? I'm getting off my notes, so this is dangerous. You know what this is an illustration of? Folks, this is what happened when men begin to doubt that there is a God and the Bible is the Word of God. It's not that they don't believe believe anything. It's that they believe everything. See the problem? That's why we need the Bible as our, as our compass, as our, as our ground, as our foundation. All right, I'm off my tangent and back on Genesis because there's a fourth thing that I want you to see. When God made man, I want you to notice, fourthly, that he made man like himself. Did you see that back in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27? The text says that God made man how? In his own image. Isn't that interesting? Genesis doesn't just tell us that God made us. Genesis tells us how God made us, that he, listen to this, he made us like himself. What does that mean? To be in the image of God. I am reluctant to put any kind of a wall around that or to limit that in any way. I think it means lots of things. I think it means like God that men are capable of, of loving and sustaining relationships. I think, it's, I think the free will we talked about a minute ago is part of that, that we choose our course through life. We are not mindlessly driven by instinct like the animals are. I think like God we rule. Do you see that in chapter 1 and verse 28? He gave us dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over all the 
rest of creation. And I, and I think like God, we are, we are moral beings. All human beings possess, possess this sense of morality. Do you realize that? Doesn't matter where you live in the world. Doesn't matter how you've been raised. Everybody, every human being just has this sense within them that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Here's the really interesting thing. No matter where you are in the world, our ideas, at least big picture, our ideas about what is right and what is wrong, they are very similar to each other. And we feel this powerful compulsion to do what our morality tells us to do. In fact, when we break one of those rules that we have inside of us, we feel guilty about it, try to justify it, sometimes fix it. Isn't it interesting that we are moral beings? Interesting, especially if you buy into Darwin's theory that we are the ancestors of pond slime. Explain to me how, how, People with forefathers who are the animals, how did we develop this moral sense? Where did that come from? How do you evolve that? You see, Darwin's theory doesn't have an answer for that, doesn't have an explanation of that, but it makes perfect sense if we are created by a moral creator. And then I would add that we are spiritual beings like God. Maybe that's the most important thing, right? That there's more to me and you than just the physical machine, the body and the heart that pumps the blood and the lungs that bring in air. We have a, we have a spirit that actually continues after the physical body dies and put, it's put in the ground. Like God, we are spiritual beings. We are made like God. And brothers and sisters, we are not like the animals. May I suggest that that may be one of the most important lines of distinction between Darwin's theory and what we're taught in Genesis? Because that is what Darwin teaches. Darwin's theory teaches that we are, in essence, animals. You could argue that we are highly evolved animals, but at the end of the day, that is all that we are, just highly evolved animals. And if that theory is true, then the animal rights folks are also correct that we have no more right to the planet, no more right to life than any other living thing that's on the planet. And if that is so, folks, then candidly, there should not be a moral difference between swatting a fly, chopping down a tree, or slaughtering an infant. Someone said, whoa, whoa, wait, did you just say that? Think it through. If that's all I am, highly evolved pond slime, if we all came from the same puddle, then I am not intrinsically different, not qualitatively different than trees or flies. And so killing a baby shouldn't be any different than swatting that fly that's a nuisance. And I will tell you, I don't know anybody that wouldn't protest that, do you? Nobody believes that. I mean, the most, the most stringent atheist would argue there is a difference. He just doesn't have any ground for saying that. We do. We do because Genesis paints a different picture of us. We are not like the animals. We are in God's image. They do not have the same moral sense that we do. They do not possess, I hate to say this, but it's true, folks, okay? Animals do not possess a spirit. 
When Rover's dead, right? And all dogs do not go to heaven. I'm sorry, you can throw rocks at me about that later. But we need to know that. And we need to teach our kids that, even if it breaks their heart about their little puppy. We are not like the animals. We are special. We are created special. That's what Genesis teaches. I think, again, even most unbelievers would say that. The problem is they have no moral ground, no reason for arguing such. I'll tell you what is odd. That God made us special. He made us higher than the animals. He made us with a moral sense. And yet what men are doing today is dismissing the Creator and choosing to behave like they were animals. They ignore their moral sensibility, and they indulge their passion without restraint. It is bizarre and tragic. And let me add this, too, that if we are correct, that we are made in the image of God, if Genesis is right about that, and we possess the spirit that continues on, then that, too, has extraordinary implications. Have you thought about that? I was talking to this unbeliever one time, and he said, you know, the problem with you Christians is y'all act like this life is no big deal. I mean, it's, it's just an afterthought to you. All of your focus is on what's coming after this life, on, on heaven and being with God after it's over. And this life, is, this life is just a trivial matter. And I listened to him say that, and I thought, yeah, that's pretty much true. Wouldn't it follow? If we are here just for this little bitty blip of time in the big picture, and then we go and we spend eternity with God in heaven, you tell me what matters. Not what's going on here and now. It's what we're anticipating that comes after this life. I think that's exactly what Paul tells us. Over to the New Testament real quick. We won't be here long, but I do want to grab this passage real quick in Colossians 3. And that's what Paul tells us, Colossians 3, verse number 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds where? On things above and not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Think about that. It does logically follow. If there is a God, brothers and sisters, and I am made in his image, which means I have this spirit that after, that after the life here on earth is over, continues on forever in eternity, it changes the way we see everything, doesn't it? Oh, let's get kind of ugly with that, though. Has it changed me and you? I mean, if somebody made my life a reality show and looked at it and folks were watching my life every single day, could they see that what matters to me is what is to come? Is that what my life is consumed with? Because it ought to be. If we are truly created in God's image with a spirit that continues, that's where my focus needs to be. I need to move on. i got a couple more points we need to make. So let me add this to the list. When God made us in the beginning, we also see in these early chapters that that, that God cares for us. Do you see that as we read through Genesis? It is all over the place. In fact, what's interesting 
is there are actually two tellings of the creation story, right? We talked about that back when we read chapters one and two, that, that chapter two retells the story, but with a focus on who? With a focus on man, God's crowning, God's greatest creation. That's how important we are to him. He retells the story with a focus exclusively on us. And then, and then chapter 1, verse 28, we see that God gives man rule over the rest of the creation. Verse 29, he provides food for him. And then you jump over to chapter 2 and verse 8, he creates this beautiful garden and he puts man there. And chapter 2 and verse 15, he gives him work to do. Because work is a blessing, brothers and sisters. In chapter 2 and verse 18, he sees that it isn't good for man to be alone. And so he creates a helper for Adam that is fitting or suitable for him. Throughout all these early chapters, we see how much God cares about man. And that is only the beginning. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, the rest of the Bible story is a testimony to how much God cares about me and you, isn't it? Those promises that he makes to Abraham, even after we rebel against him and sin, God makes this promise that through Abraham, he's going to bring a savior into the world so he can rescue us from sin. Why? Jesus said it in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son. The whole Bible story is a testimony to how much God cares about me and you. We see that all the way back at the very beginning. And what was true back here in Genesis is true right here today. You and I need to know that. Because sometimes when life gets difficult and we deal with setbacks and disappointments and frustrations and tragedy and sadness, sometimes we can have a feeling like God doesn't care about me, that maybe God has forgotten about me. That question, folks, was answered all the way back in the beginning, and it was made crystal clear at Calvary, wasn't it? So no matter what I'm going through today, I need to remember way back then, this issue was settled. I serve a God who cares deeply for me. And then one more, and I'm going to be done. Last thing I want to add to our list is this, that I was created to be with God. That's the last thing. I was created to be with God. Let's head back to Genesis, this time chapter 3. And I want you to look at verse 8 in Genesis 3. Because this verse really stirs up my mind, and it raises all kinds of questions that I can't answer, but it is a curious verse. So this is right after the sin of Adam and Eve, right? After they sin, verse 8 says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, when you read that, do you have some questions? I do. It said they heard the Lord walking in the garden. So I wonder, what form did God take here? Are you wondering about that too? Would you like me to give you an answer to that? Because I don't have one. But I'm curious about it. Evidently, God was there in the garden among them in some form. They heard him walking. I don't know what that is. And the other thing is that this does not seem like it's an unusual event, like nothing like this had ever happened before. And that makes me wonder, well, how many times was God in the garden with them? 
Did this happen on rare occasions? Did it happen frequently that God would go there and interact with them? And how long did that go on? How long were Adam and Eve created and in the garden with God and having this relationship before sin messed all of that up? I know what y'all are going to do. Y'all are going to go load up the question box now. So the text talk, we can answer all those questions. That's chapter 3. We're not covering it next text talk. And I don't have an answer for that. But it sure seems to me that there was a special relationship between Adam and Eve and God in the garden. And verse 3, verse 3 gives us just a little peek behind the curtain at that. But I do know this. If you'll jump ahead to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, I do know that when we are in that garden in the end, one of the things that is emphasized about it is that we will be with God. Revelation 21, look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Did you see it there in verse 3? Because he says it three times, so we will not miss it. When we go to that second garden, the paradise regained at the end of the story, when we are in heaven, we will be with God. The text says God will dwell among us. Isn't that what Jesus said in John 14? Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. What does verse 3 say? I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. What is it? Do you know? That where I am, there you may be also. That's right. The fellowship lost in Genesis, the fellowship with God, is the fellowship we regain at the end of the story. That last picture in Revelation 21 and 22. We were made to be with God. And what sin destroyed, Jesus repairs. Romans 5, verse 10, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And one day, brothers and sisters, we are going to be with him because we were created to be with him. You see that all the way back at the beginning. The question is, will I be with him? Are you going to be with him? Because sin stands as this awful barrier between us and God. And the only way we can be with him in the end is to take away that barrier of sin that stands between him and me. So there's the question for you this morning. 
Do you have that relationship with the Creator? Through the blood of Jesus, have you removed that barrier? Jesus said, if you have believed and have been baptized, you will be saved. And so if that's where you are today, in sin, separated from God, and you're not headed to a destination where you'll be with Him, you've got a chance to do something about that. You could do something right now through the blood of His Son. You can wash away those sins. You could take away that barrier. You can be reconciled. And you could be counted among those who are looking forward to that time where we will be where we were meant to be with God. If you need to make that change in your life right now, we want to encourage you to come to the front while we stand, while we sing.